Back in studio with Lorelai Simon. How you doing, Lorelai? I'm great. Thanks for the invitation. Happy to happy to have you here. Vice President, External Affairs, Usabelli Coal Mine. Yes. That's a big one. It's a lot of words there. <laughs> yep, yep. I uh, have found that I can make a really good living doing the job nobody else wants to do. When, when, when you say Usabelli to people who don't know, in Alaska they know what that is, but you travel a lot. Yeah. Just very kind of interesting name, Usabelli. It doesn't, you don't hear that too often. Well, you know, it's a good Italian family, mm-hmm. so that's what most people think. But yeah, when, when I say, oh, I live in Alaska and I work for Alaska's only operating coal mine, people are like, whoa, what? Really? <laughs> and I say, yeah. And then I just, you know, launch into my spiel about are they like, Alaska's is this like, energy. Is this like West Virginia in like the 1930s? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, everyone finds it very fascinating that we still use coal in interior Alaska um, because people think of oil and gas in Alaska. Mm-hmm. But um, most people don't understand that they're there isn't a, a stable, large supply of natural gas in the interior. So they rely on the coal fleet mm-hmm. to help stabilize the prices up there. Yes, yeah, so I want to talk about the, the coal you mine and all that. But first, I want to talk a little bit about, about you. So I've actually known you kind of in the resource world for a while, but we didn't really ever know each other super well. But then I was flying back from uh, Las Vegas and I guess it was September. Yeah. It was the first. It was w- right after that big Monday night football game. Wow. I've told the story. So if folks are listening, I mean, it's like I was there with my friend Doug Smith who has tickets to the Raiders and I didn't even know you were there. I mean, I knew some Alaskans were there and we're, so I got on the plane, Alaska and you're, you're like, you fly a lot, right? Are you, are you a million miler? Are you? No, I'm not a million miler, but I, because of the work I do for Usabelli, I'm, I travel a lot in Juneau uh, to DC, mm-hmm. different meetings for the National Mining Association. So yeah, I, I do get upgraded quite a bit, which is nice. So I got upgraded. On that flight, because I got the MVP gold, which, yeah. by the way, I'm never going back. I mean, they kind of they get you, because once they once you get that status, it's so nice. Yes. Do, that, you, re- do you remember the cartoon? Um, I think it was Madagascar 3. I've, I've, I've not seen it, but I've, I'm aware of it. Okay, so King Julian, is, you know, it's when all the animals escape from Madagascar on the plane that the penguins build. Mm-hmm. And King Julian and his guy are in the front having a party and Melman sticks his head through, you know, the giraffe. And he was like, oh, excuse me. And King Julian looks at him horrified because he's sitting up in first class and Melman dared stick his face in there. And King Julian (laughs) says, um, excuse me. It's nothing personal. It's just that we're better than you. Please get in the back. (laughs) So that's whenever I... We get upgraded. My husband and I always make that joke. Ooh, I got King Julian status. So, so, so I get upgraded with MVP gold. You know, it's, yeah. it's more, I mean, regular MVP. I mean, that's just really, you got to get the gold. You're probably 75, right? Yeah. So, so I get upgraded. So I sit down. I'm pretty excited um, from Vegas to Seattle. And I, what was I doing? I was, I said, oh, I just, on that flight, I had just hit the next marker. Right. right. Um, and I, I showed, and I didn't know who you, because the mask. Right. And then I said, hey, I got my, you know, I'm friendly. And then you're like, yeah, Jeff, like it's me. And I go, oh my God, <laughs> Lorelai. So yeah, because we had only met briefly in professional settings, but had never really had conversation. Yeah. We had yeah. some of those conferences and yeah. so we had like a three hour, that was great. We talked about, um, and I want to talk about Palmer because you have this long history in Palmer, sure. but that was, uh, if you ever get, want to get to know somebody, I mean, pretty much 
sitting next to him on the airplane at first. I mean, <laughs> even though I had earplugs in my book in my hand, we still I, to no, talk I, for three I, hours. <laughs> at some point you just put the book down. I did. <laughs> I, I vividly remember you're like, all right, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read this book. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, it was a good time though. That was a good conversation. So you were at the Monday night game. So I've said the story, and it's embarrassing, but it's kind of epic. I was at the pool. We had a cabana, right? And Doug was there, you know, and and, and I had some drinks. It wasn't a lot, but it was 115 degrees that weekend. If you remember, it was very hot. Yes. And so we meet some um, girls at the pool. They're actually from Alaska, southeast. One of them knew knew me from like landmine stuff, and um, Pro- I probably the speedo. We're aware of the speed, yeah, and I was wearing the speedo too, of course, so of course. have to. Yes. And then, so I'm supposed to go to the game, and her friends go into the game because she met somebody, which which makes me believe maybe the situation wasn't entirely my fault. Maybe, maybe there was a mm-hmm. kicker, maybe there was an accelerant in the drink, because mm-hmm. I I pass out, and I'm supposed to meet Doug and everybody for at like four o'clock, three three forty five or four to go to the game, and I wake up at like five fifteen, and I'm I'm like oh my god, and at that point they gave the ticket to the other one of the girls we met. Right. Yeah. You know, I've heard of that happening to other people in Vegas. You probably were an innocent victim. I mean, it was, I had a mimosa and it, but it was like the, it was like the big gulp. And I, I normally stay at the MGM, but I stayed at the Mandalay and it was a big, like big gulp, like huge. And then I had a vodka Red Bull and then I had a couple shots. I mean, nothing crazy. Anyway, so you're, you were, I didn't realize this. I told you the story. You were at the game. Yes. Yeah. So I, I was in Las Vegas um, for, the Mine Expo. It's the largest which mine I, con, miners convention in the world. Which we, I heard about when I was there. It was a big, like a lot of yeah, people were there for yeah. that. We take up the entire Las Vegas Convention Center. It's a huge event. Uh, it's only every four years because it is so big. So we we see some of the, the newest and largest mining equipment in the world these manufacturers bring to Las Vegas mm-hmm. and set it up in the convention center. It's just fantastic. So that's why I was in Las Vegas, and we ended up being invited. Our uh, management team was invited to go to the Monday night football game with some of our friends from Caterpillar. The big equipment. Yeah, so that's why I was there. And, um, yeah, because, you know, it was a work event for me, I I did not spend all day in the (laughs) cabana. You were under the – yeah, we missed you at the pool. I did not have the big gulp mimosa. (laughs) It was just the tiny one. And a couple of Bud Lights. And then you had this helmet thing, too, you got, because the Raiders fans, they're... Yeah, so we felt like because this was the maiden voyage of the Death Star that we really had to root for the home team. And so I ordered these Raiders hard hats, which I felt was appropriate for me and my mining friends to show up in Raiders hard hats. And it it was a really great time. The the worst part for me, I mean, it's a good story, but it was described by many as one of the most epic Monday Night Football games ever. Right. One of the most epic football games ever. I mean, it, it was it just went back and forth so many times and there was such excitement in that facility. The whole place was just buzzing. Overtime uh, win by the Raiders, but then Ice Cube. Right. Who else was there? Uh, was it Gladys? There was a bunch of performers yes, there. Yes. A flyover. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like. It was fantastic. I couldn't believe. So I've actually been back um, in October because Doug, Doug has a ticket. So I went for a game and I made it very, actually I flew in the morning. You still went with him? Yeah. Oh yeah. He was, believe me, he's, he told me, he said, if you, if you miss this one, that's fucking it. That's it. That's your last time. So that one I flew in the morning, I got there at like, I, I landed at like nine Yeah. and then I couldn't get the, it was frustrating because I tried to do early check-in, but they didn't have the room till like 11 mm-hmm. or 12 and the game started at 1230. So I was basically, I didn't sleep. I flew all night and then I got to right. the game and then 
that I could, it was over and it was great. But the thing was, it was an Eagles game and there were so many, because everybody wants to go to Vegas. Right. So it's the, an easy place to get to no matter where you are. So the only bad part, I guess, about the, the Raiders stadium, the Allegiant stadium, is each game, it seems like there's half of the fans are the opposing team because you want to go to Vegas. True. Yep. So there was half the people were like Eagles people. Yep. But but I went to the game. It was I had my second win, and then after that, I was like, I gotta go to sleep because I was you know I hadn't slept. And did you just nap and then go back out? Uh, no, so I had to do my Sunday column. It was on a Sunday, oh, so yeah. I I went back and I napped, and then I started to write, and then I was so tired, I just kind of you know when you stay up for like thirty hours, you gotta at least me, I have to get the big sleep. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so that was how we how we met, and then we we talked a little more, and now we're here doing the podcast. So you have an interesting history. You're you're. Uh, from Palmer, but I mean, this goes back way before you, your, tell me about your parents or your, your dad's side. They came. Yeah. So my family was actually part of the original colonist project out in the Matsu. Uh, this was back in the early thirties during, you know, uh, America's kind of climbing out of the depression and the government said to the poor Midwestern farmers, Hey, if you want to move to Alaska and colonize and start farms there, we'll pay your way. And my family was from Michigan and um, they jumped on it, said, yeah, let's get out of here. Let's go to the last frontier and, and was there a big make family? a new life. Um, so at the time, it was my great-grandparents, um, my great-aunt, and my grandmother. And then my great-uncle was born. He was the first baby boy born in the colony of Matanuska. R- really? Yeah. That was oh, when so the they hospital were, like, really was, early. Yeah, this was when the hospital was still just a Quonset hut. Whoa. Yeah, so pr- pretty neat stuff. So... Even though, um, so my grandmother was one when she moved here. So technically I'm only second generation Alaskan. Um, but yeah, we've, my family has lived here since the thirties and pretty much been in Palmer the whole time. You know, they, some would move around or whatever, but I, um, count myself as born and raised in Palmer, even though I was born in Anchorage. And then, um, we moved out to the Valley when I was two. Uh, my parents lived in, you know, they they were living in Anchorage and they were like, you know, we don't want to raise kids here. Let's move out to Palmer where we can have a yard and dogs and they can run mm-hmm. around. So we moved out there when I was two and yeah, w- went to public school out there and loved it. You know, Palmer, while I think that Palmer is still very charming, um, it's just so big now. It, it honestly has outgrown me, to be mm-hmm. honest. It, it's... um. It was just so quaint then. Everything was still a dirt road. We had one flashing red light. Um, You really could walk or ride your bike everywhere, even when you were little. And now it's just not that way. But even now, like my friend, I'm friends with Sabrina Combs, who's on the city council. And her husband, like I've been to their house and I mean, he can like literally walk to work. Yeah. And she can even, I mean, she's pretty close to her, you know, she's MEA, but like, the whole downtown, it's it's very different than Wasilla. It's got that old kind of Midwest... Yep. Chart, you know, with like the main street and, and, yeah. and I've been down there many times. Like I actually was a, I was a judge. Sabrina had me be the judge once for colony days. Yes. No I big do. deal. I, I don't I, want to brag, but I was, I was like, hey, on the, that's definitely bragging. Rights. I was on the dais. I had to wake up early. I drove yeah. out there. I was judging things. Yeah. People were confused by my presence. It, yeah. Palmer really is a, it's a special place. And certainly colony days and colony Christmas are two of the big highlights of the Palmer chamber, which I have to give a plug by the way. I think the Palmer Chamber has done such an amazing job over the years um, helping to create a real sense of community with between the business community and the residents mm-hmm. to tie them together and do fun community-oriented 
activities and certainly those two colony days and colony Christmas are just fantastic. And the fair, you know, that's the big, oh, big yeah. draw. Yeah, that's like a family reunion. I actually had a fair booth twice in 2000, let's see, it was 2008 and 2009. I had a boot, me and my friend used to have this little weird business. We sold called wind spinners. They're, mm. you know, they hang up outside and they're sure. different shapes and they, they spin around, they kind of light up. We sold those and we had, a, so I spent two fairs as a vendor. And I don't know if you ever spent time after the fair closes. It gets wild. Yeah, that's when the real party starts. Oh, yeah. For there's sure. like slush, slush box, but then there's people in their like RVs and people. It's just a fun, yeah. It's a good time. I don't yeah. think a lot of people see that side of the fair. Yeah, well, they're all beating their feet to get back to town, right? They yeah. want to just get into the line of traffic to get out of there. But, yeah, for people who live out there, um, yeah, it's not uncommon for us to go to the fair almost every day. So Sabrina work, works in the fair a bit, and she's involved in the board, I guess. And yeah. she's, like, a couple times we've been there, and she's got me some tickets. We've we've done some, like, interviews, and yeah, you know, she has, like, the access. Yes, yes. She's definitely a good person to know if you need to know anything about the fair, mm-hmm. Sabrina Combs is, is the woman. Okay, so you, um, you should belly now, but you actually worked in the legislature. For, I for did, yeah. So my last semester of college, I went to UAA. And my a little last, closer to the mic, there you go. My last semester of college, I did the legislative internship, and I worked for Senator Lauren Lehman at the time. Oh, who became Lieutenant Governor. Yes, yeah. So I had the pleasure of working for him, and um, then you kind of just get sucked in. You know, it's a very oh, yeah, small tell, niche in the market. Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going back in January. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So my first session down there was 1997. Um, and then I, I worked for several legislators throughout the years. Um, Who'd you work for? Well, Senator Lehman was my first boss. I worked for Senator Green. And then... I Light of green, yep. And then I moved over to the House. I was the House Resources Committee aide for a number of years. That was definitely my favorite job. And that's when I really learned a lot about natural resource management and energy mm-hmm. policy. And that was my first encounter with Uspelli Coal Mine. Who the was time. the resources chair? Do you remember? Um, yes. Scott Ogan. And then... Oh, he's still around. Yes. And then when he quit the caucus, uh, Beverly Massick... Mm-hmm. took the chairmanship and um, she asked me to stay on with the committee, which I was happy to do. And then after that, I um, helped Kevin Meyer get elected. I helped him beat Jerry Sanders in the Republican primary and helped Kevin Meyer get elected to the state house. You know, I tell people this a lot about when Kevin comes up, he's never lost an election, three terms on the assembly, several terms in the house, Senate, yeah, he's, governor. he's a machine. He's running. He's running for governor. I mean, he's got. He's that, got. That guy's he's pretty good, lucky. He's a good campaigner. It, it's it's not luck. It really is that he works hard. He he does a really good job with the management team, the campaign management team that he puts in place, and he works hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not afraid to get out there and beat his feet. And that's basically what I did. I called him up just a cold call, and said, "Hey, I hear you're going to run." In the Republican <clears throat> primary, I'd love to help you win. Let you know. Let you just, me you let just, me know what I can. You probably do. knew him. You knew of him, or mm-hmm. you knew, knew him, no, or not I, really. I had never met him, <coughs> so I spent that whole summer helping him walk the district and just do everything that campaign staff does. And then um, we were victorious in the primary, and then of course in the general. And he asked me if I'd come to Juno with him and be his chief of staff, which I was very happy to do. And those those were my best four years in the legislature. Wow. Yeah, so Kevin was the best boss. So you were there at the time when 
around 2000 when there was the fiscal issue happening and there was an advisory vote and they had the fiscal policy caucus, which was, <coughs> excuse me, um, essentially the same kind of levers right. or things we're talking about now, the permanent fund dividend, the, the income taxes or revenues, and then spending. And, right. and, you know, that was a big thing. And there was this whole policy caucus with Lisa Murkowski was on and Andrew Halcrow, a bunch, a bunch of members. There was like 15 or 16 members. And then there was even a time back then when they didn't, think they could afford dividends because of the, the way the fund was going. And then, you know, the price started to go up a little bit and then it really went up in 2008 and then we had the windfall. Right. And we kind of, that's our history mm-hmm. in the state. It's like, it gets always quick to the edge of the eighties. And then, you know, the Gulf war happened first Gulf war and the price goes up. And, well, and don't dis- discount the impact of the Exxon Valdez oil spill yes, to Alaska's economy. I was just, um, did a podcast with John Binkley recently yesterday and he was in the legislature during that time. Yeah. And we were talking about, that, that and how much of a you know, billions of dollars in spending that, yeah. that came in at the peak of kind of the recession. Yeah. And I think the point that you're making is our history is that we just keep kicking the can down the road. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, something, something changes and we don't actually have to make the tough choices. And we're, we're there again right now where the, right. for a while the price of oil was going up. Now it's back down in the seventies. So there's some, for a while it was in the eighties, but you know, we don't have any money left, any savings, um, you know, it's all been spent. So it's, we're again to that point where, you know, maybe we get bailed out by high prices, but it's, um, it's every time, you know, it's, mm-hmm. wasn't there bumper stickers at one point a long time ago, give us another boom and yeah. we won't piss it away. Right. Right. A lot of those stickers back, back in the eighties. Yeah. So you leave legislature, you were there for like 10 years, right? Yeah. Just about that. I left the legislature and then, um, are you I- a tier two? No, I missed that by six months. I'm oh, no three. way. Yeah. What? Yep, yep. If if I had graduated high school and went to work at the Palmer Pool as a lifeguard like I had planned to do, I'd be tier two. But then a friend said, no, you should move to Anchorage and work at Costco. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea because then I'll have a job in college too. Great. So I did that, which I had a great experience with Costco. That's when I really started my love affair with that company. It was the best company to work for, that, for the you know, four I've years read, that I was in school. But yeah, I've missing read a ton out of, on tier two was really a bummer. I've read a ton of articles on, I mean, those Costco employees get paid a lot of money. I mean, they get yep. paid high six-figure type salary, and that's where they stay. Yep, and great benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's a, well, at least when I was there, um, the management was very jovial. It was it was a team. It was like a sports team. That's what it felt like. Yeah. You know, we were all pretty close. I've heard so many stories of people who got like a job as a secretary or something like the pool, you know, teaching or school when they were like 18 for a year and they, right. and then they come back to state service later. Some of them didn't even realize. Yeah. They go, Oh, by the way, you're tier one or tier two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So overall my retirement plan is that I have to get 10 more months in with state service to vest in tier three for medical. Benefits. Oh, so you have to at some point go back yeah. and do something. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to be a page, probably. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can read the notes. <laughs> yeah. So at one point, this is a true story. So in 2019, I was in Juneau for the first time for the session. If you remember, there was a whole summer thing going on then, and it was it was special session. And it was actually, they were really, they were like just out of people. They, the pages weren't there, mm-hmm. and they needed people, and the staff, some staffers were doing it. And there was a time when, I'm not kidding, they were like, Needed people to help. Even Landfield can do I it. Was like, I was like, I was like, I was like, no, I, no, they didn't say that. I said, seriously, I'll, I'm happy to help. Like I'm here, like whatever. 
And then they, you could tell they, for like a second, they were like, fuck that. This guy's right. going to read the note. I right. would not have read the notes, but right. I literally was like, hey, I'm here. Just He can't be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> Those beady eyes. You, you know who told me, um, uh, oh my God, Robin Taylor. Mm. He told me, we did a podcast once. He had saved every note. Oh, wow. And I go, I need the box. Oh, man. And he goes, no way. No way. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I've. I've got a good story for you, but I I'm too shy to tell. On oh the no! You, now you have to. T- now you have to. You can leave the names out. I can't. Oh no! I'll oh no! You got me. Ex- tell me afterwards. I will. I'll tell you afterwards. I'm too shy to say it on the podcast. But is it involving I, a note? Yes. House. When I was the House Resources Committee aide, um, one of the legislators passed me a note, and he was, you know, he's um, an old timer, and he's trying to be funny but he did not realize that was quite offensive. Oh, no. And so I just passed the note directly on over to Bev Masick. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> As if it wasn't even intended for me. And she just looked at him, crumpled up the note, and committee kept I've going. Heard, but. I've heard stories about, um, oh, man, who was the, Bar- Ramona Barnes. Oh, who was yes. Like the, the, yes. D- didn't want to mess with her. And, you know, nowadays... A lot of freshman legislators, some of them, you know, you watch, you know who they are. They talk. They just always talk. Mm-hmm. They have to always say something about everything. And sometimes it's kind of annoying because it's like, it, it, it's almost a disservice to those people because nobody pays attention to what they say. Right. There's a few people, like one of the ones, best examples is John Lincoln. He hardly ever spoke. The few times he spoke, it was like silent in the room. Right. And everybody paid very close attention. Yeah. Because he was saying something profound. Yes. Um, so I had commented once. I said, man, why, why does all these people have to just talk all the time? It just, every every vote takes, mm-hmm. every amendment even. So someone told me a story where Ramona Barnes, she was like a really tough lady and, and she didn't take any, any shit. And people would talk a lot. And there was a note one time somebody saw, and it was to, they wouldn't say who, but it was a person who kept talking. And the note, they opened up the note and it said, shut the fuck up. Yeah, that that Love does that. not surprise me. Yeah, she, Love that. she ruled with an iron fist. So you were there when she was she she was there, right? Yeah, yeah. I've heard so many. I wish I would have been able to meet her. She would have probably been a good, good podcast. Oh yeah, you would have loved her. Yep. So you leave legislature. So and you're, you're going. Did yes. you go to M, you were MEA for a while, right? The Metnisca Electric. Yep. I I went to the university for a couple of years, um, and that just was not the right fit. And then left the university, went to Matanuski Electric, worked there for, I think, about three years. And that's when, at the time, MEA was trying to build their own generation. Mm-hmm. And they were going to build 100 megawatts of coal and 100 megawatts of gas. And uh, that's when the anti-coal movement really hit Alaska. Um, you know, most of these people didn't realize that there were already six coal-fired power plants up in the interior. Um, but... God forbid, building a new coal plant in the Matsu. So what ended up happening over the course of a couple of years, um, those who did not support coal in the Matsu ended up taking over the control of the MEA board. Yeah, that was, that was when Tuckerman Babcock was, was he around then at that point? Yep. He was a manager? Or, yeah. I know it was pretty contentious at that time yes. on the board and everything, right? Yes. So basically all, everyone in management, we all lost our jobs. And I remember thinking at the time, you people are nuts. I mean, this is the best possible scenario for our community. When we're talking about prices and stability, building a coal plant is the best option for our community. But they, um, you know, they just couldn't see the forest through the trees. And 
at least at the time for management, we didn't really care what the fuel source was. It really mattered to us what penciled out, what was reliable and affordable. And coal was definitely the most reliable and affordable fuel source at the time. So anyway, I ended up leaving MEA and um, sent an email out to all my friends and colleagues and was like, hey, I'm, I'm on the market looking for work. You know, here's my resume, my experience and expertise. Um, please let me know if you hear of something. And three days later, Yusavelli called, and they're like, we'll take you. We were need help on the Wishbone Hill project. Were you, MEA, were you in like a communications or external affairs role? Or Yeah, I was, uh, let me think. The title was um, Manager of Government and Corporate Communications. So you were having to probably deal with a lot of this this uh, controversy over the coal. Oh, yeah. Publicly. And yes, yes. I was front and center in all of that. Yep. I always, um, so Sabrina, my friend works over there. I always yeah. tease her, like, you know, we, I said, true guy, because I was in the bylaws committee for a while and yeah. a little bit involved, not very involved, but I always say we got, you know, MLMP, now we're going to get MEA. She always gets, because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, honestly, it's it's a it, interesting history and, and I know we're yeah. a different state, but the fact that we have six utilities or whatever in this rail belt of 400,000 right. people is, I mean, Homer Electric and MEA and Chugat, now MLMP is gone, but but um, Golden Valley, you know, it just doesn't seem... Really, I mean, from the big picture, it seems kind of ridiculous. Yes, but our state grew so differently than other states where the population is more yeah. centered. So, you know, you kind of look back and see how we got to where we are. But, yes, definitely uh, the the ratepayers seem to be, um, they like to protect their fiefdoms. You know, the, oh, yeah. the utilities themselves, they, they'll fight to the death over their fiefdoms. Well, years so. ago, and, and maybe this is... Better now, but I know Homer Electric and MEA canceled their wholesale agreements with Chugach. Mm-hmm. And Chugach built that big facility with those three gas turbines and then the other turbine that's fed off the exhaust of the other three. And then the rate payers um, in both of those areas started paying more. But I, I guess the plan, I'm not, I haven't followed it that close, but there's one to build their own generation and be a little more, um, you know, working, su- su- sustaining themselves. Yes. Instead of relying on Chugach. So, right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a topic that comes up a lot, whether it's generation or transmit transmission. I think they have consolidated a lot of the transmission. Yes, I think so too. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it really is a fascinating industry up here. Um, so at, at any rate, then I started working for Usabelli. They were trying to open the Wishbone Hill mine at the time. And so I was the external affairs manager for that project. And what was fun is that I, I, was still battling the same exact people. Oh, it's like, hey, Lorelai, hey, you're back. Right, yeah. Which Where's Wishbone? Can you talk about Wishbone Hill a little bit? Oh, sure, yeah. So the uh, Usabelli has the leases and the permits to the Wishbone Hill project, which is north of Palmer, close to Sutton. Um, and that's in the old Matanuska coal fields. It's been an active coal lease since, oh, I think the... 60s, probably earlier than that now. No, I, I don't know if it's still like like this, like it was, but before, I mean, a long time ago, I mean, the coal was just right there, right? It was just yeah. on top. Yeah, it's it's very easy to find. It's it's not, there are not deep deposits there. I mean, there are deep deposits, but um, a lot of them start very close to the surface. So, um, yeah, we, we still have the leases and permits to that project. We would still like to further develop that mine. Um, that would be an entirely export project for us because our mine in Healy is the mothership and we supply 100% of the in-state demand out of Healy. 
Um, and the coal quality is different. We have sub-bituminous in Healy, and at Wishbone Hill, it's bituminous coal. Well, what's what, what's the difference? Um, higher heat content in the bituminous coal. So how much of the coal now, is it all consumed in state? or does, Yes. Because we did used to export coal, didn't we, a long time ago? Yeah, we did. Our last export ship was in 2016. Um, but yeah, we used to... Oh, was to, that recently? I didn't realize it was... Yeah, it feels like a long time ago. It does. But yeah, for 30 years, we were exporting to um, South Korea, Chile, and Japan. Yeah, that was a lot of the... I'm working on a story on the railroad. I haven't got out oh. yet, but, but the railroads are involved in that, right? Yes, they own the coal loading facility in Seward. So you've been um, with East Valley then, I guess, for over 10, I mean, 15 yeah, I, years? or uh, Almost 12. Okay, wow. Yeah. So it's been a while. Yeah. And you now you travel a lot. To DC, you were saying, is that, what's that about? Well, in the work that I do, external affairs, so um, meeting a lot with uh, Hill allies, not just our congressional delegation, but other members um, just working to educate and inform on not just America's mining and coal situation, but certainly trying to really help them understand how unique Alaska is. You know, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, there is no readily available alternative to the coal fleet in interior Alaska. You can't just fuel switch overnight. So, so if we turned off, if they passed a law and said no more coal, what, what, what happens to Alaska? Well, interior Alaska would freeze to death in the dark. 30% of the generation up there comes from coal. Mm -hmm. They can't make that up with existing infrastructure. So when do the, I mean, it seems like in the last maybe 10 years, maybe it's longer, but at some point the coal really, that was like, a, like you mentioned, that was, became a, mm -hmm. a major issue for some environmental folks. And yeah, you know, honestly, I think that the environmentalists figured out a way to spread fear and hysteria and raise money. That's mm -hmm. really what this is about because technology is coming a long way and there are coal plants that can burn just as cleanly as natural gas plants, but that's not what we're hearing on the news. How does that work? Do they recycle the um, exhaust or do they, do they there's um, a chemical treatment, isn't there, where the byproducts are like different than if it was an old school you know, coal plant from the... Yes. Well, that that's what I mean by new technology, like circulating fluidized beds, scrubbers, bag houses, things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it really has come a long way. And of course, everyone is still working very hard to further develop carbon capture use and storage technology yeah. on the large scale. People have um, figured out some systems that work on the smaller scale, but nothing big enough yet at a larger commercial scale for the larger coal plant. Well, I did a podcast recently with Brigham McCown from Alaska Pipeline, and he's a new CEO, uh, president over there. And we were talking about, you know, I'm, I'm as much as anybody, I'm, I'm all about green technology, you know, renewable, but, you know, practically, you just can't flip the switch. I mean, it's got to be, right. you know, let's, let's get there. Let's try to do right. things that are practical and, you know, that, that work in the market. But there's some people, I think, honestly, they just think, let's turn it off. And then, yeah, they, like and you said, we're going to be in trouble. Yeah, and, and that, that just cannot happen. It's not, practic not it, practical. It's not practical. You, it, it cannot happen. Um, whenever I give a public presentation, I always start out by trying to establish with the audience, what do we consider, um, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, modern society, sorry. Mm -hmm. well, you know, what do we consider mon modern society? And so I'll pull out my iPhone. I'm like, 
would you guys agree that this is a good representation of modern society? And everyone, everyone agrees. And everyone has one in their pocket too. There's never an audience member that does not have a cell phone. It might not be an iPhone, but some, everyone has a cell phone. And I'll say, okay, if we agree that this represents modern society, then we must also agree that we need all of the minerals, metals, and elements that go into making this smartphone. Yep. So that means we have to have a healthy mining sector. So let's now talk about the importance of protecting public health and the environment while we have a healthy mining sector. And then we can move on and talk about the economy and the value of jobs here in Alaska, here in America, to manufacture these items. You know, again, we're talking about protecting public health and the environment, safe working conditions, proper labor practices, safety standards. We're not seeing that in other areas of the country where we can also locate these critical minerals. Well, one of the things I, years ago, uh, Steve was a mining, the old mining association. Is it Burrell? Steve Burrell. Burrell. Yep. So I was at a presentation many years ago, like more than 10 years ago. And I'll never forget this. The largest, and this is probably still the case, but the largest employers by payroll in Southeast were Kensington and Greens Creek. And the other, you know, the, the average salary in mining is, is quite high. Yeah. So yeah. whether it's Pogo or Goldmine or Usabelli or Fort Knox or, you know, these people are making good, really good income, really good salaries. Yes. I think the average wage in the mining industry is around $105,000 a year. So well above the state average. Um, and what I like to tell people you know, at least working at Usabelli, is this is slope money without having to work on the slope. Yeah. You can live and work in your hometown and make a family wage. Um, and plus it's just, I mean, I, I really could spend hours talking about what a great company Usabelli Coal Mine is. I feel very blessed to work there. I, um, you know, coming from a very caustic environment at Matanuski Electric, right, where we're all j just getting run out, um, to coming to this family-owned and operated company. Th 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 it wasn't even a different um, planet. It was a completely different galaxy. <laughs> the culture there is so different because the, the, the Usabellis really think about the employees as their family, and they treat us that way. It, it's really oh, they've a been, special place is, to work. Is it 50 years? or is it? No, no, we're almost 80 years in existence. There was so, well, there was and something... A few years ago, wasn't there a 50th? That what was, that that was a, our 75th anniversary. Oh, okay. Because yeah. there was a big party, 75. Huge party. And I, I didn't, I missed it. I, oh, bummer. I wish I would have, I would have been on the plane with you before that. <laughs> I heard about it though. I heard it was a big kind of, you know, summertime. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was fantastic. So um, do you, do you work in Healy? My office is in Palmer. And then I try to get up to the mine as often as possible. That's a couple hour drive, right? From Yeah, I give myself four hours for the drive from, the, from Palmer into Healy. They have the 49th state. Yes. I like, whenever I go up that way, I, yes. I was, especially in the summertime. Yes. Yes, that's a great little spot. And so is Black Diamond. I don't know if you've eaten there. Uh, I think I did, a, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, they have the little golf course there yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, they have really good food. So so you see yourself, I mean, it sounds like you've been there a long time. This is kind of your your, your big Yeah, career. I, I love it. The, yes, I love it. I hope that I retire from Usabelli. Um, you know, I made the joke earlier about I I can make a good living doing the job nobody wants to do, but it really is hard to do external affairs for a coal mine, a coal mining company, right? There's there's a lot of pressure on a daily basis of just 
fighting to survive. I, I think for a lot of folks, like like the perception is the coal mine, West Virginia. Oh. Is not, so like you said, when you tell people I'm with a coal mine, they must be, you said they look at you funny sometimes, right? Yeah. They kind of say like, what, what are you, what? Yeah, you know, and that's something else that we're very proud of at Yusabelli is our reclamation efforts. We started reclaiming the old mined lands <clears> even <throat> before it was required by the federal government. Mm-hmm. Because the Usabellis live in Healy. It's their front and their backyard. They recognize the importance of environmental stewardship before the government said, hey, we want you guys to reclaim that land. How, how many, what's, the, what's the economic impact of, of Usabelli and Healy? I mean, the, the, yeah. I guess jobs and the, it's probably a big driver. We are the largest private sector year-round employer in the Denali Borough. Yep. Um, oh. In fact, we're, we've worked with the McDowell Group, now the McKinley Group, yep. for the past um, several years. Every three years or so, uh, they do an economic impact study on coal in interior Alaska. <clears throat> and part of that is analyzing the community as well, you know, how about how many residents and how many of them work at the coal mine and what's the economic impact into the area. Um, but, you know, even statewide, we spend about $30 million a year in support of our mining efforts. And that's, that's with Alaskan owned businesses. So, you know, we're kind of out of sight, out of mind being in Healy. Um, but we really are a really great success story of an Alaskan owned and operated company, um, in existence since 1943 that really does make a significant impact on the economy. I'll have to get up there. I mean, I've, I've been to Healy. I've never been to the Yusabelli thing. So sure. To, yeah, we'd to love to out. have you. Maybe I can wear a hat and get a, get a, get a picture. Or something. <laughs> yeah, I get well, on one of the big rigs? and. Yeah, we'll, we'll take some good pictures with the big haul trucks and maybe even get you out to the drag line. Yeah. What's the drag? Is that the, where the... That is the largest piece of mobile land equipment in the state. No way. Way. That's what we I've use. seen the pictures of those huge and those... Other like countries where they have those open pit and they have those, they're, they're kind of like, I'm not sure the truck's the right word, but there's, I mean, the pe- the wheels like three times bigger than a person, you know? Yeah. So that is not a drag line. Our drag line does not have wheels. Um, it turns on a disc like this and it does have feet where it can scoot itself, but mostly it's stationary and it looks like a big crane. And at the end of the crane is a giant bucket, which is about the size of three dump trucks. Yeah, I'm going to have to see that. One I'm, 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 I'm going to get a picture. Uh, and it goes out and it that. scoops the overburden off of the coal seam, puts it over here and drops it. So it's it looks like it's a very slow, methodical process, but it's an excellent way for us to be able to move dirt. How many people have to work on this thing, is it? Uh, two people work in the drag line at a time. Wow, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to go, go check that out. It's pretty cool. Uh, last thing I want to ask now, when I was on the airplane with you, I mentioned... My my uh, story in progress oh, about, about the Willow Trading Post, which is in your neck of the woods. Yes, <laughs> that was the first time I think you heard the term thruple. Is that correct? Yes. At first, I thought you had a lisp. I wasn't really sure <laughs> what that word was, but it's a thruple. It's a couple, <laughs> three. It's a thruple. Yes, I I figured that one out. Also, I don't think you were aware of um, OnlyFans. No, at that point. and I I still never remember the website until you repeat it again. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's um subscription-based kind of situation. Yeah, folks, you, you'd be surprised at the amount of things I learned sitting next to Jeff on an airplane for three hours. Well, the article, I mean, you saw the article? We did the article. And yes, about, yes. So yeah. if you're up in Willow, 
Stop by and get a burger. Well, I will say that a few times a year, my husband and I will go camping in the area, and we do enjoy going to the Willow Trading Post because they have excellent blueberry pancakes and um, mushroom Swiss omelets. Yes, they, they have great food. They use real mushrooms, not or I should say they use fresh mushrooms, not canned mushrooms. Uh, but, you know, we haven't been there in a few years, I think, now that they have, now that they're under new ownership. <laughs> I don't believe we've been there since then. New, new, interesting kind of ownership. Right. Uh, check it out. I mean, it's, they've done a lot of work for it with it. It's look, it's a great, great spot. <laughs> You're like, switch topic. Best of luck. <laughs> well, uh, Lorelai Simon, thanks for coming in. It was a great, great conversation. Yeah. Thank you. And um, you got to, you got to some point get your 10, your 10 months, right? In the Yes. Yes. After I retire from Usabelli, I'll go back to state service for something. Get my 10 months in so I can invest in tier three. You should be the, like a page, you know? Yeah. It's going to be some sort of mail clerk job or something like that, definitely. Ten months, huh? you got to just kind of bite the bullet. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming in. And then if folks want more information about Usabelli, there's the website, I assume. And what, what's the best? Yeah, great. Yeah, please come on the website. Um, yeah, we're not hard to find, usabelli.com. We have Facebook. and um, But, yeah, we we just really appreciate your interest and would love to get you to the coal mine. It really is a I definitely fascinating trip. Get so. up there and, and t- see the, what do you call it, the drag line? Yes. want to see that. So we'll, uh, we'll plan that hopefully for next summer. Yeah. Well, actually, one more thing I, I forgot to ask. Has, how has COVID impacted? Has it been a big, big impact oh. on the business? Like, I guess, the business, business itself, like the demand, and then also the, the workers and all the you know mitigation? Yeah, man, it, it's really been a lot. Um, luckily for us, being in the mining sector, uh, we are considered critical infrastructure, so we never had to take any time off. Of course, again, people in the interior need fuel for heat and power. Yeah, right. Military bases, hospitals, clinics, you know, things like that. So we never missed a beat. Um, And then, of course, under Governor Dunleavy's um, leadership, coming up with these workforce protection plans, and we've done the best that we can um, trying to keep these protocols in place and keep our, our workers safe and healthy. Um, like every business, we've certainly had some folks out with COVID, but we have been able to avoid some horrible mine-wide spread, um, you know, because we only have about 100 employees. So mm-hmm. if we are missing 10% of our workforce, yeah. it's significant. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, we just try our best to be very careful and keep the coal producing so that we can keep power and heat to the interior. Well, thanks again for coming in, Laurel. I will have to do, do another one of these and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Good luck on your next Monday night football adventure. Yes, I will. I will. Uh, I promise you, I will never be <laughs> missing because that was my first NFL game, by the way, oh that gosh. I missed. So late, later I went to the other one, but you know, it, it's just the fact that it was the first game for the Raiders, but then such an epic and, and the seats Doug has are right by where the game ended. Well, at any rate, it's a great story. It's it's almost better in some ways, because 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 the the girl from Juno she got the ticket and she was she hadn't been out on vacation for a while. She was with some friends and a few didn't come because of COVID. So for her, that was kind of like an epic and ending of the trip. Was she the one that handed you the big gulp mimosa? No, I got I got I, no I got that before I met her, and then later okay. I got the big gulp. And it wasn't a, I mean, it wasn't called. I was just trying to backtrack where your demise came from. No, I was, she was never, I was actually buying the drinks, but okay. it doesn't mean somebody couldn't have slipped, you know, slipped them. Right. What is it? Slipped a Mickey? What they call? I'm not saying that. So, so we had the, the mimosa, the, 
vodka Red Bull. I think I had a couple shots of vodka and then like a watermelon vodka special. But this is over the course of, you know, many hours. Yeah, and the heat. Probably not enough 115. Yeah. And then I was in the pool, obviously. I was kind of doing me. I was... Yeah. Got to do that. have to, yes. The only bad part about Vegas is in the winter, the pools really aren't... It's still kind of... It's not that hot anymore, but there's no pools. I mean, some of them are even open, but nobody's out there. Mm. You know, I mean, for me, Vegas, like, in my mind, Vegas, it's like pool that's the whole thing so you got to go so, from like march or april to like october that's when the really it's like march may may through like september is kind yeah. of the but have you noticed how many people just stand in the pool and drink all day absolutely I, they don't get out of the pool jeff oh you're saying like like they might be peeing in the pool <laughs> that is exactly what i'm saying i'm not one of those people i mean we so when, so here's whenever whenever i go I try to go with at least like, and I've gone so many times with friends. We try to get like a group of six, eight, ten, you know. So we get a cabana, right? So some people, here's the thing: some people, and it's expensive. But if you're with a group of people, it's not that expensive because let's say it costs six hundred, eight hundred bucks. That's like what they, the minimum they. I'm spend. a big fan of the cabana, no doubt. So, it's just not the public pool that people stand in all day and drink. I can't do it. It grosses me out. Well, that's that's why you have the cabana because then you can go back to the cabana because some some people they don't get the cabana, and they have nowhere to go. Right. So, like, you don't want to, you're on a chair, and it's hot, and it's it's sunny, so you just stay in the pool. I'm, I'm definitely a cabana experience person. You have to have that, that the shade. It's worth it. It's, it's, worth it. it's definitely worth it. Yep. But you have to have at least five or six or seven people, because then it's way too, you know, unless you're some, if I had, you know, tens of millions. Because, actually, when I go to the cabana with my friends, they, they love bringing me, because, as you can imagine, I tend to find a lot of um, people, usually women, who I bring over to the cabana, you know, kind of make it a little fun, a lot, a lot right. of bachelorette parties, buy some drinks. Yes, I would imagine you're someone who's never met a stranger. I'm, um, actually, I'm really shy. You know, I have something called approach anxiety. Approach anxiety. Yeah. I, I've not heard that one. <laughs> no, I, I go meet everybody and then they come over and then we have a good, really good time. So yeah, I'm a big advocate for the cabana. I'm with you there. I agree. I think we should get a group of all of us, you know, together. We should go down sometime. What do you think? Well, Can I get a card I, commitment? I probably won't go again until mine expo. So that's like four years away. About four years away. We'll have to find another reason. <laughs> okay. Know. Well, Lorelai Simon, it's been great talking to you. <laughs> Thank you. We've, we've covered Appreciate a lot of it. points here. We've covered a lot of interesting topics. Well-rounded. So. Very good. Yeah, yes. very well-rounded. Well, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll see you around. Okay. Thanks again. All right, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, uh, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.